the Pediatric Lounge, a podcast taking you behind the door of the Physician's Lounge to get a deeper insight into just what docs are talking about today. From the clinically profound to the wonderfully routine and everything in between. Well, hello again, and welcome to this week's episode of the Pediatric Lounge. With you, your host, Dr. George Rogu, and your co-host, Dr. Herb Bravo. This week, we welcome a future physician, Dr. Jacob, who is a third-year DO medical student at New York IT. He will be sharing with us how the USMLE Part 1 has changed and how research, especially case reports, have a bigger part and impact in admissions to medical schools and residency programs. He will also share with us how he's created an organization that helps medical students and residents connect with clinics to publish case reports. Please welcome him to the show. Good morning, George. How are you today? How are you doing, Dr. Bravo? It's Tuesday morning once again. Elevating great physicians, or now physicians in training. We have our Dr. Jacob, my student at the office, is rotating through us in pediatrics, and he's going to tell us about a fascinating project that he's working on. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for having me here. Morning, Jacob. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. So, Jacob, what what are you doing right now? I'm a third year medical student at the New York Institute of Technology College of Osteopathic Medicine. Yeah. Great. And uh, one of those rotations is with, with Dr. Rogo in, in pediatrics? That's right. Well, you, you probably have seen a lot of dermatology there. I, I've seen a lot of everything there. It's a very it's a very big practice and a lot of all sorts of cases come in. And he's actually also, uh, we have affiliate, his clinic is affiliated with Good Sam. So I'm also getting some nice inpatient and outpatient experience. Very nice. And why did you want to be a doctor? You know, people have a lot of reasons of why they want to be a doctor. And I think in the top five, even top three, one of those reasons should be to heal people, to help people, you know, establish a connection with them. Because medicine, a lot of these days, a lot of it is academia. But the core root of medicine is helping people, getting them back on their feet. And like I said, it should be in the person's top three reasons. And it's also one of mine. At the end of the day, I want to make a difference. So Jacob, what do we keep saying when we walk into a room and talk to people? What is the most important thing of being a doctor? But, relationships. That's right. Relationships and talking to people. This generation of doctor, I fear they don't talk to each other. I, I, I had an example of one of his classmates shows up in our office. They never met each other. I said, you guys know each other. And they say, no. I said, how can you be third year and not know each other? Take the mask off, shake hands and introduce yourselves. Because they're all stuck on this screen. We got to put the human back into healthcare. We really do. And talk to people. In, in our defense, our class is more than 300 people. But yes. That's the story yeah. I hear all the time. Yeah. But Let's it's, engage Dr. Jacob. Yes, it's, it's a different world. So Jacob, what can you tell me about the application process to medical schools now? Do they require so, a lot of research? So applying to medical schools on the MCAS and the AA COMAS and MCAS, there is a section to put in your research experiences. And that's a big thing right now. So for pre-meds and medical students alike, personally, when I applied to a medical school, I had a little bit of a tough time getting in because I didn't really know how to do research. 
And right now, research is more important than ever because the way that medicine is shifting, it's it's shifting in towards more of an academic side of things. What, what do you mean that it's shifting to more an academic side of things? Well, I can tell you about my experience as a med student. This year, the USMLE and the COMLEX exams, exams that physicians have to take in order to pass medical scores, step one and COMLEX one have transitioned to pass fail. It is no longer a grade. Now, this puts a lot more emphasis on the extracurriculars that students do. Because at the end of their medical school, students have to participate in an application called ERAS. It's an application for residency. And because step one and complex one are pass-fail, now more extracurriculars are being taken into account. One of these extracurriculars is research. And um, research can mean a lot of things. One of the things it means is publications. These things are now necessary to move on from medical school to residency as well as they enhance your application going from undergraduate pre-medical to medical school. So let me back up a little bit. This is totally new to me that yes. pass fail. I mean, we used to have scores and sweat out the scores. Yeah. What, what is extracurricular activities? I, I don't understand why that's part of the test. So there are two board examinations in medical school, similarly step one and complex level one, and then USMLE step two and complex level two. So both of these used to have scores. Now this first set from starting this year of 2022 has become pass-fail. The second set is still scored. So but what is the extracurricular? One is research. What, what else are they doing? Sure. So there's research. Okay. There's volunteer experience. There's a research experience, which is different from research because research refers to abstracts, publications, and presentations. Okay. There's also, between those three, there's a couple of more I can just list, list off the top of my head, but you, you can find all of this online if you search up 2022 match statistics, charting outcomes, and they have by each residency that's been filled with spots, what the average applicant had in terms of uh, number of publications, number of research experiences, number of volunteer experiences, and all of that. I thought, Jacob, that research was you had to go to a laboratory at a big university center with some PhD that's running some multi-million dollar thing with, you know, rats or mice. Is that not research? So so now, so today's day and age, that's the field of research has expanded to include much more than that. Research could be anything that you find and possibly publish that will enhance academia. So you don't necessarily have to be in a lab. For example, I mentioned case studies, right? You could have a patient come in with an interesting presentation. For example, this is just off the top of my head, patient comes in with a toothache and it ends up that he, that's a symptom of a heart attack. But, and this, this actually, I think has been documented, but this is an interesting presentation. Then you do the whole woke up of the patient, you write a case report, you give an introduction, you give a discussion and you get that published. So that's what a case study is. Now, what you were mentioning working in the lab, that's more like bench research. Things like that take a lot of time. Unfortunately, medical students only have so much time. They have to find different avenues to pursue research besides the bench research you just oh, mentioned. Herb, you know what, Dr. Bravo? I think it's the way they used to call it when we were residents, uncommon presentations of common diseases. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. 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 I'm just very curious as to why do you think this is a push towards more academic physicians because we need less academic physicians and more physicians taking care of people. 
That's that's a good question. I'm not sure why, but that's just the name of the game nowadays. Yeah, okay. I think it's because like all fellowships have a component of research. In residency, I, I when I get resumes of doctors, I get two and three pages of listings of different research projects. And it always I was looking at them and I was saying, my God, when did they have time to do all this? And when did they have time to see patients if they had to do all this? So I yeah. think ingrained from minute one of intern, well, actually from pre-medical admissions until the whole thing to fellowship. You know, thinking on it, thinking on it, you asked me why all of the great innovations in, in medicine started off in the laboratory. So I think maybe they were pushing the kind of innovative spirit that medicine is all about by essentially telling students and making them do research. It kind of opens them up to this kind of field. Perhaps, but you know, we have a national shortage of doctors and it's only getting worse. You know, I think the the main job of a doctor is to take care of people. If you're taking care of people, there's not a lot of time left for research. So it's it's interesting that they're going that way. How many publications do you think a medical student should be aiming for? So honestly, there's really no right answer. But I, I will tell you this. I'm a big fan of Grant Cardone. I'm not sure if you know who Grant Cardone is. He's a multi-billionaire entrepreneur, motivational speaker. And he talks about the 10X rule. What is the 10X rule? I'll give you an example. Let's say we have a med student and he or she decide to do two publications a year. So as the year is going by, they finish their two publications. In fact, they have time for a third publication. The end of the year passes. Wow, they did three publications. Now let's take it back to the beginning of the year again. He or she originally had a, a goal of two publications. Using the 10X rule, you take the two, multiply it by 10, you get 20. So their goal now is 20 publications. The year is passing by, they're working, they're hustling, they're trying to get those 20 publications out. They get nine publications out during the year. They did not reach their goal, but you can see nine is much better than three. And it feels much better to fall short of a massive goal than it does to fall, fall short of a mediocre one. And that's what the 10X rule is about. So what I mean to say is, Set your goals high and aim for the stars. That being said, I mentioned before there are match statistics online for different specialties. And arguably, one of the more difficult specialties to get into is dermatology. So if you quickly open that up and you look at the average number of publications that a dermatology residents have before they get into that they get into residency, it's 21. You can set a high goal, you can reach it. All right. And then what have you done research? So for my research, I actually came up with an organization. I call it the Med Research Initiative. It's an organization about 15 to 20 individuals, as well as three clinics that between the three of the, between three of the, between the, three of the clinics, they have over 100 years of experience. I started this organization in order to get pre-med, pre-med and medical students together and connect them with clinical sites, as well as physicians in order to teach them how to do research and get their names on publications. Wow. And what's the name of this of this organization again? Med Research Initiative. We're in the process of finalizing a website so more people can get involved. We've already we've already done quite a quite a few number of papers. Like if you, if you go online and search up our names, my name or the, the list of students I'm with, you will find a lot of quite a few articles written by us published on PubMed and all of that. And how did you come up with this idea? 
I came into medical school with very limited knowledge of research. So, and then in medical school, I actually met one of my mentors, a great physician by the name of Dr. Maria Lovato. She's an OBGYN physician. She was actually a preceptor at my medical school. And as soon as we met, we sort of hit it off and we developed a very close relationship. Outside of academia, she actually she actually has her own OBGYN practice. So now I brought up the subject of research and publishing, and she said, let's do it. She also didn't have much experience. And together, we, we, started, we started doing work. We started publishing. I realized I want to give back. I wish someone had come to me when I was a pre-med and said, Jacob, this is what you need to do to enhance your application, make it even more competitive, and essentially show me that how to do research. I'm sure that if I had the publications in pre-med that I have today, my application to medical school would have been much more competitive. So kind of in that vein, I wanted to help out pre-meds. Another thing I had realized is that my fellow medical students like me, a lot of them didn't know how to start pursuing research. So I started inviting them. And through that, like I told you, I was able to start an organization. Like anybody, he found the problem, resolved the problem, and now he's sharing the information with others. Wow. The solver of problems. I love him. Yeah, that's very, very interesting. I'm still stuck on the idea that medical school should be training physicians to take care of people. And it seems like they're putting a lot of emphasis in you sitting down and writing papers for the journals, which is not when you're in the real world of medicine, 85% of us, I would say, seeing patients, we're not thinking about writing papers. We're trying to build relationships and fix people's problems. And I agree with you, Dr. Bob. On one hand, I do see why the research could be beneficial because a lot of the case studies I'm doing, because I do specialize in case studies, they're about patient presentations, disease processes. Medical school is supposed to be teaching you how to be a physician, but it's also supposed to be giving you a knowledge base in order to do that. And the research, I feel like, could enhance that knowledge base. That's a good take on it. I agree. And you said the website has not been launched yet, but when it is launched, we'll put it in the show notes so people can go and sign up and learn more about your project. Do you plan to continue doing this through the rest of your life or what's the plan for this project? So, so actually you mentioned how people can sign up. I just want to quickly talk about that. I'm always looking for new people. I always, the more the merrier. In fact, I recently... I became friends with a colleague, a fellow student of mine in my medical school. He was a physician, a radiologist in Nigeria, and he came here and he had to redo medical school. And he bought with him, he has with him a lot of case material. I'm always looking for new people. And he approached me and I was able to guide him and he was able to join my organization. Even in residency, when you apply for fellowships, they ask you to do case reports, case studies, case reports. Now, they don't ask you to publish them, but they ask you to do a write-up of them. In this sense, I'm planning on continuing doing research for a long while, you know, because the way I see it is, yes, it takes a little bit of time, but it's also enriching the field of medicine and academia. Because how many times, I think Dr. Ogu can attest, how many times does he see an interesting case presentation that he wants to, you know, share with the world? Like, oh, this and this happened. This, this is really interesting. If you're done with your residency, do you plan to be 
I understand you want to be a dermatologist. You want to be an academic dermatologist or you want to be in private practice? I'm not sure yet. I'm keeping my options open. Dermatology is a very competitive field to get into. I'm keeping the options open. And uh, okay. I'm hoping he'll do pediatrics and join us. I am having such a good time at Dr. Gogo's office. Pediatrics is still in the codes. Once you're done with the residency, do you plan to stay in academia or do you want to go out and take care of patients? I want to go out and take care of patients, right? For whatever I choose, I, I want to open up my own practice. However, the way that Dr. Lovada, Dr. Maria Lovada, the OBGYN, the way that she was able to help me and get me on my feet and just establish a relationship with me, I want to be able to do that for students. I want to continue this and I want to, you know, give back. Hey, and so the organization that you've created, what, what's the name of Med Research Initiative. And so you plan to keep running that once you are practicing too. At the time, at the time being, that is the plan. For the time being, that is the plan. So you and, work with other students to prepare these research projects, right? You don't just of course. Yeah, yeah. Them, give them some paper, here, follow this. You work with them one-on-one -on -one and you tell them exactly what to do. hundred percent. And the other students, I also, they're also direct, these other students have been with me for a while. So they know exactly what needs to be done. So let's say at some point I'm busy, I'm sure the other students, residents at this point would be interested in leading when, if for whatever reason, I'm not able to. I just want to, I want to keep this organization alive as long as possible so everyone can derive the maximum benefit out of it. And does this organization take a lot of money to run or? No, the thing is on top of everything, you know, research and publications when you get accepted to publish, you have to pay a fee, a publishing fee. And this fee can range from $300 to $5,000. Who, who do you pay the publishing fee to? To the company that publishes your work. There, there, are, there are many companies out there, and that's just the way it is. I did want to mention that this does put a little bit of financial strain on medical students who are already financially strained. You know, paying yeah. for medical school is not cheap. But like I said, it's just something that's, that it's been evolved into in order to qualify for a good residency, you need to do this. When you tell me you're paying to publish these articles, are, are you are you telling me that if I'm going to publish something in the New England Journal of Medicine, they want $5,000 to publish it? I'm not sure, but the New England Journal of Medicine is a really big deal. I'm not sure about how they work. I published with other kinds of journals, but so far my experience has been from 500 to 1,000. Maybe the bigger journals charge more or maybe they charge less because they are a bigger journal and they are prestigious. But I, I know off the top of my head the pricing. Okay. That, that's a new concept to me. I, I always thought these things got published because of, you know, the re relevance to the specialty which they're covering. Another thing I want to talk about is, so the publishing fee is split up among the authors. So you asked, how does the financial aspect of it work? Just the publishing fee, is we just split it up among the authors. So possibly a $1,000 paper with five authors gets split five ways, $200 each. Oh. Okay. Is there a guarantee that the article will be published or? They, they, only, they only take the money if, if you're approved for publication. Oh, that's good. So you that's can send in the article. And if it's not up to par, academically speaking, and they reject it, you don't have to pay. That's good. That's good. Wow. This is all very interesting and very yeah. new to me. 
Um, very, very interesting. Well, I think it's great that you're doing this for others. It's kind of a coaching service for medical students and residents. How is it working with your classmates? Anybody doing this with you or? So, so I do have fellow medical students who are in the organization with me, participating, learning how to do it. I do plan on in the organization with the, within the organization, giving them their own projects with students as well to, to get it done. Like I'm always looking to expand, to, like you always say, Dr. Ogle, efficiency. The more the more we can do, the better. Mm-hmm. And where, where do you get your cases from? So I presume if there are any physicians out there that listen to our podcast, if they have any strange cases or, or uncommon presentations of common illnesses, as many would remember them as, maybe they can reach out to you and say, hey, Dr. Jacob, I have this case. You know, maybe you can get some students and so let's work it up. Of course, yeah. And of course, it goes without saying that the physician who I'm working with gets their name as an author on the paper as well. And yeah, that, that's definitely so. You asked, where do I get the physicians from? Like I mentioned, the organization is associated with three clinics. And these clinics who have been in practice for a long time, they have seen some very interesting stuff. He's actually working on one with the case that we had of a presentation of a kid with, I'm not going to say, but presentation, some weird presentation of a common disease presented uncommonly. So we found all the records, we reviewed it together, we're going to print it up, write it up nicely, package it, and then, you know, print it, I guess, right, Jacob? Yep, yep, that's how it it is. Very, very interesting. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your time with us. Fascinating insights into what medical students are doing today. Yeah. I wish you the best of luck in residency and private practice and do hope you come back at some point and tell us where you are in your journey. You want to leave any, do you have any words that you want to leave to your, your, your classmates or anybody that's going to watch this video? Going to medical school is a big decision, you know, and if you're fortunate enough to get in and you're having a tough day, um, remember that five years ago, or a couple of years ago, you were playing to be where you are at now. So Stay strong. Hold on tight. Great. All right. All right. Dr. Bravo, Dr. Bravo, thank you so much for having me. This was such a pleasure. Yes. Thank you. Have a great day. Good day. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. This has been a production of the Pediatric Lounge. On the show notes, you will find links to our co-host and other important notes as well as a timetable of the topics discussed today. Don't forget to follow us on social media and subscribe to wherever you listen to your podcast. Leave us a great review as it helps us greatly. In the meantime, we will see you next week. The Pediatric Lounge. The conversations are not intended as medical advice and the opinions expressed are solely those of the host and the guests.